Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, Chief Financial Officer of the Emerson Collective, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. All right, Danny, we're we're back for a new episode of Gov Actually. We had a um, we had a midwinter hiatus, uh, uh, but it's now that theme, our long hiatuses. I know, I know. We're lazy, though. I mean, are we? Yeah, I, I blame COVID, um, but I, <laughs> um, but I do think like uh, there. It seems like everything is weirdly compacted in, and and everything is busy. I I, I imagine everyone's experienced some version of this, but I think um, we're committed to trying to keep this conversation going, committed to the, to the um, tens of thousands of listeners out there. I thought you I finally have you convinced of that, right? Yes. Well, one might notice a hint of sarcasm, but uh, anyway. I planted people around DC to reach out to you. To to, to stop me on the street and whatnot. Yeah. So they used to have a different perception of our listenership. Yeah, the the endless click of the paparazzi uh, has been keeping us up at night. But um, uh, anyway, so um, uh, but our last discussion, I, I gather, uh, well, I, I know from personal experience, but also I gather from your conversations, kind of kind of hit a bit of a nerve. Yeah, a lot of um, you know, kind of. I got some a fair amount of email traffic and reflections and. You know, this what we talked a lot about uh, trust in government. It was our year in review, and we talked about that um, that COVID and the the issue with vaccines and and the government's response and and all of the you know uh, apparent uh, conflict that's out there uh, in 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 on the national consciousness and social media at our kitchen tables as we talk about you know, these questions to mask or not to mask, to, you know, follow the science or you're not following the science, is it being politicized? All of it has, you know, kind of an underpinning of, do we trust what the government is telling us? Do we trust what what the CDC is telling us? Do we trust what the president is telling us? Um, and and do we trust what governors are telling us? Um, and, and how much of, of this is driven by politics versus science and substance. And it comes back to this important question of the, of, of the role of government um, and how it, how it acts in these moments. And its ability to be successful is often uh, contingent on whether the citizenry and the public uh, feels like the government has their best interests in mind and is, is doing things for the right reason. Like, I think the public will even tolerate mistakes from the government if there's at least alignment that the government is trying for the right reasons. But sometimes and often in COVID, we seem to have lost this, at least if you're watching TV or on Twitter. And so one of the questions that I have is like, are we looking at this through too narrow a lens? Like, is the reality that we take one story, like the story of uh, the woman who shows up at the school board meeting and threatens to to, to come back with guns uh, over the mask mandate or over a vaccine mandate? Um, And we look at that story and we go, oh, my gosh, we're so broken. You know, there's the, the distrust 
the 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 inability to communicate with one another. We 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 don't we don't have any kind of common ground to have a a calm and thoughtful discussion about what the country is going through and the different alternatives at play to take us uh, forward. It's so broken, and I feel despondent about it. But, or is that really an isolated incident? And if you look at the pie chart of what's going on, there's actually a lot of constructive conversations going on. That's just not newsworthy for whatever reason. And and people's experiences are are attuned to uh, the negative. You know, many 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 good things will happen in a day. You're going to remember the bad thing. You mm -hmm. know, and I, you know, I, I know I definitely react that way to commentary. You know, you'll look at. Uh, You'll, you'll scroll through a list of comments and you'll, there's a tendency to focus on the negative one. Um, uh, I think that humans are kind of designed to hear that as a way to kind of regulate us socially and to help us uh, improve. Um, it doesn't feel good though. Um, it's interesting. I went back and looked uh, in our friends, FedScoop uh, are very generous about keeping the entire archives, the vast archives of the, uh, Gov actually um, podcast on their website. And back in April of 2018, Gov actually number 24 was titled Mistrust in the US Government. So either we lack creativity in coming up with new uh, uh, ideas of what to talk about, or this is a, a important recurring theme that is, uh, is worth continuing to dig into. Well, I do. I remember that podcast, actually. I, I, I can't claim to remember all of them, but I remember one important theme or finding or conclusion that's, I think, relevant to this discussion, which is we were looking at, um, uh, I think, the president's budget or some type of release that had uh, data on citizens' trust. And, and what we learned in looking at that data was when you ask the public what they think of government as a whole, the government scores very low, 20% approval, 22% approval. But if you ask a more specific question, what do you think of the government's performance in, um, in ensuring uh, the food supply chain is safe? Or what do you think about the government's performance in protecting the homeland from a terrorism attack? Um, the, the numbers spike much higher. So if you change the context of the question and you have the, the, the person focus more on the specific, do I feel safer from a terrorist attack because of the steps my government is taking? The answer is yes. Um, and, and at a 50, 60, 70% clip versus do you think the government is doing a job, good job generically, right? And so that brings us back to the conversation we were just having, which is, do you, you know, do you need to change the context? Like, because if you share the video of the woman at the school board and you ask questions in that context, I feel like people are going to have a much more um, negative perception of where we are in America today. But if you show them a different video, show them a video of a, of a local government bringing a community together to help, you know, uh, do a do a day of cleaning the parks, you know, or something of, of you'd say, wow, like, no, we're, you know, throughout America, there are, you know, many, many examples, too many to even count of, of great moments of, of civic duty with uh, Republicans and Democrats and independents all shedding those, those monikers at the door and coming together to just do the basics of, of society. 
um, and that never gets reported on. Uh, and so similar to our other podcast, uh, are we asking the questions in the wrong frame of mind? Well, but I, I, I also, I, I, I think that there is a, there, one of the reasons why we wanted this podcast and why we wanted to start this, this other conversation is because it's a conversation about something other than politics and, and, um, and personalities. And so um, it really is about services and the structure of government, how it's delivered. It's really to inform and engage people in a broader conversation about civics, about systems improvement. You know, I just hate the framing of the term the government because it makes it, it makes it sound like there's some singular monolithic thing um, when we know that it is actually a highly atomized, highly localized, you know, uh, um, set of different actors and, and, and entities. And some of those um, operate, I'm going to say happily, <laughs> devoid of, of political division and deliver great services, um, uh, services that people need and use. I think of my brother, the firefighter in San Francisco. And, you know, no one gets mad when he shows up. Um, uh, there are other services that are actually more wrapped up in politics and more wrapped up in policy because there is more distinction between how one might be delivered versus another. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that's an essential part of something as diverse as government operating at all the different levels that it operates at. And we, and I think we've talked about the fact that, you know, the government touches people's lives in a lot of different ways, like 25 times before breakfast in a positive way. And we don't, we, 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 we rely on it. It, it improves, it improves our quality of life. Um, we don't, reflect on it in a way of that, that's appreciative. Um, and maybe, and that's, that's not necessary all the time. You know, it's, you know, it's a, you don't have to always appreciate it, but I think, yeah, I think, I think challenging it is actually an essential part of our democratic experience. This idea that, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't reign supreme, that it is subordinate to the interests and, and needs and wants of its citizenry and should be changeable and evolvable. I mean, I think the real struggle from either perspective, uh, either political party perspective, and I hate to describe it as being only two, um, is when it's non-responsive, right? Like when the when the thing becomes a, a kind of monolithic and, and unmovable all on its own. Yeah, I mean, it's so, it's interesting. Like I, I, I was asked once, like, what is the role of government? And um, such a big question, right? And did you I, answer? I did. And <laughs> answer, I always, you know me. I always, even if I don't have an answer, I'll just talk your ear off. You know, um, I, I like to put things. There are in, a lot of listeners shaking their head right now as they. Exactly. <laughs> well, I I always try to find a way that people will understand it and get it out of an academia type mindset or a textbook type mindset and. I, the way I answered it was, you know, I think about the Wild West, you know, and lawlessness and, 
you know, you know, you know, how do I in, ensure that, you know, no one's going to rob me without retribution or that no one's going to uh, attack my family with, you know, there's got to be some structure. Uh, otherwise, it's dangerous out there and you don't get to a functioning society. You don't get thriving businesses. You don't get, you know, setting up of schools. You don't allow, you know, religious institutions to thrive without um, creating uh, a structure uh, to convert chaos into non-chaos. And so the role of government really starts with organizing the lawlessness into something. And then, and then it, it, it goes in, in, in greater sophistication, complexity. Um, as we, as we stand up more complex societies, we stand up a road system and, a and, and, um, and water and the water has to be cleaned and, all of it, right? And so, so the government increases in this mass complexity because starting from that very foundation of the Wild West and lawlessness, you're trying to, at various gradations, create non-chaos, right? And, um, and along the way, the government makes mistakes, the government gets blamed for things, um, and the government wears this, this, uh, this scarlet letter of, of whatever it is at the moment that, you know, that they're the source of the problem. Um, and, you know, and I think it's just something that, that is part of the DNA, but my concern is when it impacts the ability of government to carry out its mission, because people start divesting in, in people, in training, in technology, uh, because they see the government as as the problem, not as part of the solution. Then, in many cases, maybe maybe out of maybe we save the public from one or two points of government overreach um, and and government incompetence. But by doing that, we've damaged the other ninety eight times that the government isn't overreaching. They're just doing exactly what they're supposed to do to convert chaos to non chaos. And they're doing it in a very competent way and in a way that's improving your quality of life. And I think, I think right now, and this is a question that, that, that is on a lot of people's mind, is it really bad right now such that, um, such that we're going to make very critical mistakes in how we cultivate and nourish our government for the future because we're letting politics overwhelm rational thought in terms of how we want our government to function and is uh, is the politics so powerful that it is um it, it it's really that public policy and good public administration are like totally swarmed out by politics in a way that it that it hasn't happened before and that's the that, that that's it feels that way but i'm you know i i'm not sure that that that's the case because I worry about that example I started the podcast with, which is we're all kind of starting with the frame of, of the woman at the school board yelling at them. And maybe that's the wrong frame to start with. Um, but I, I, think, I think that that person at the school board yelling at the school board is not new, um, having been, you know, worked at the local level. Um, I, you know, had lots of meetings where I don't think I was outwardly yelled at too many times, but, um, people's passion, you know, you're the, the interesting thing about the work you get to do in government is you impact the lives of so many people and you are by definition, 
at least supposed to be accountable to those people, right? You can't run or hide from that level of accountability, um, particularly at the local level. And that, that's what makes the local government, I think, actually increases people's general trust in it um, because of the kind of the ability to communicate more directly with it. And, um, um, but also, you know, makes it a little bit more, you know, generally and outwardly contentious. Uh, well, I have an idea, Dan, for, for, the ne- for the next part of the podcast. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I, I want to interview you a little bit about your reflections on local government, because I think you and I probably too often attack the questions from the perspective of national government or our mm-hmm. federal government. And, and maybe what, to unpack the impact of the media, trust, uh, all these questions um, and how governments can, can overcome some of it. Maybe we need to look at it from the angle of what's going, of, of what happens at a local government. And you, unlike me, have experience at local government. So that's why I get to interview you. Uh, well, that's interesting. Um, I, 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 I think that the state, county, local, an authority level of government is super, super interesting. Um, and I think it relates for those people who are really almost only concerned in the federal level of government. Um, it, it relates very importantly to the fact that almost every federal program of scale is implemented through those levels of government, right? And so, you know, the, the, the um, infrastructure bill is gonna be implemented by state, county, and local transportation agencies and authorities. So understanding how those things work is is super critical to understanding how the bigger federal government works as well. Yeah. And just the closeness and the proximity to, to the people, you know, to the potholes on the street, if you will, uh, and what you need to fix. So let's come back. Let's talk about it more. I don't know that we're going to get away from this topic right now. It feels like it's the elephant in the room. So yeah. Let's talk. Or, or the large animal, because you don't want to make it. Fit. Oh, oh, did I do? Yeah, no, the yeah. donkey the or the elephant in the room, I should say. Yeah, <laughs> maybe both. All right, we'll, we'll okay. talk in a minute. Okay. Gov Actually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop, as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop. GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. All right, Danny, we're back to uh, the second half of uh, of this GovActually, and and I was I was trying to you know get ready for a um, uh, you know I don't know you, you described it as an interview. Uh, I'm worried it could take the form of a deposition. You know, I'm, I'm a little <laughs> nervous about uh, about this conversation. I have given depositions before, um, and I've been told I'm. To yeah, and the answer I, is yes or no. No, no. I mean, I've been the lawyer. I've never been deposed, but I've been the lawyer. Interesting position, and um, I'm told I I'm pretty brutal. So brace yourself. This could be ugly. <laughs> No, I'm just excellent. I'm excited about the brutality of your deposition. Uh, I, I, you know, I think where we left it was this kind of question. You, you actually said like, look, I've been not on the school board, but been sitting there in meetings where, where, you know, an angry citizen 
um, is complaining about something. I, there, there's so many scenes like that in Parks and Rec. <laughs> I was just going to say, have you watched Parks and Rec? My favorite and least favorite episode all wrapped into one is the first one where Leslie is in front of a community meeting. Yep. And then the, pan, the camera pans from her to the meeting and there are only three people in it. Yeah, yeah. And um, I've been Leslie no so many times in community meetings. Yeah, and then and then at various points in the show when they're doing a community meeting, like you just get these crazy, you know, reactions. You know, people start chanting, um, and it's you know, it's all it's satire, but it's like it's uh, you know, how much satire is it? Well, you should be able to tell us because. I've never sat behind the table and, um, you know, what is the, what are some of the reflections that you have? Um, and I would imagine DC government is not easy, right? Um, you know, you've got, uh, you got this very unique proximity to the, the, the mayor who's like the governor, uh, right down to the, to the people. Um, and, you know, and DC historically has had, has had its challenges. Yeah. And I, but I, I think, um, DC has also had like just a tremendous, you know, several decades of runaway success in certain areas. Um, in other areas, there's still many, many, many unresolved issues. And sometimes that success has created problems. So it's that kind of, you know, um, instantaneous kind of tactical, and strategic back and forth that makes the local government level so interesting. My kids will tell you that I, I always would like kind of walk away from the TV when Parks and Rec was on because it was a little uncomfortable. The satire sometimes was a little too, uh, you know, like on the nose. Um, I feel that way about Veep too. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's a little too close for, ugh, Right, yeah. right. Someone, someone actually had had the experience of, local level public service who was on on the writing team. But the downside of the satire is it kind of misses the broader kind of, um, uh, you know, meaning of what that kind of basic level of public service is. I mean, you can't hide at the local level and delivering service. You, someone's garbage was either getting picked up or not getting picked up that day. And you, you would hear about it. Um, my kids used to refer to me as being supermarket famous, because when I went to the supermarket, people would stop me and ask me questions when I was transportation director or Metro general manager about trains or buses or curbs or crosswalks. Um, and as, um, as frustrating as that could be, um, particularly for the kids, <laughs> um, it was insanely gratifying to be able to have a conversation that could lead to a potential solution. So in that sense, you know, that level of work is so interesting. Um, also, you know, really hard. You know, those are, the, those, are, those are the levels of conversation that are around homelessness. Those are the levels of conversation around um, healthcare delivery and uh, education and policing. Um, you know, all very, very controversial issues at the national level, but very, very immediate um, controversial and potentially impactful at the, at the local and personal level. Right. And, but, and it's not as impacted by 
national stories, you know, Fox News, MSNBC. Sometimes it 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 gets in, in, integrated into that. Something can go viral on social media. But I also feel like in most cases, these issues and these controversies are dealt with, you know, in a much smaller, you know, ecosystem. And um, does yeah, that- They are kind of also the um, proving ground, if you will. They are kind of the, um, the, you know, a lot of the national issues emerge from, you know, local instances, you know, uh, the, the, the broader sparking of a, a renewed dialogue around racial equity, fairness, and policing came out of a instance, you know, the George Floyd uh, uh, was, you know, one of the several local specific actions that generated a much bigger national dialogue. Right. And I think about, this is why I wanted to ask you the question. It's like, is there a big difference? Because I think about redistricting, it's like, it's warfare, right? And I think about, you know, policing and it is an incredibly intense issue. And I think about COVID and this governor's restrictions or that governor's flexibilities, um, you know, are too flexible. And, you know, it is very intense. Um, and my question is, is, is it, is there anything that goes on at the state local level where the intensity leads or is there's approaches that get to outcomes and, and, and reasons for hope <laughs> that are different from, you know, just being bogged down in like, it's Mitch McConnell versus Chuck Schumer and, you know, Nancy Pelosi versus this, you know, and it's like, it just seems like there's, um, there's, there's a narrative in the national uh, spotlight that's like, it's fully broken and there's nothing we can do. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the reason why there isn't as much room for that narrative in the local level of uh, government and public service is because there is this immediate need to deliver services every day, right? And you know, if you have a bad trip to the DMV, that actually kind of works into your thinking about how you feel about that governor. Um, if your trash doesn't get picked up, that works into your thinking about your feeling about a mayor. Um, but uh, uh, the the you know the presidency, Congress, you don't have that direct level of service delivery, so you don't have that direct level of service delivery related accountability on the on the political side. That's interesting. Like, so it's like we're watching these members of Congress or administration officials debate, dialogue, go on the, the Sunday morning talk shows. You know, are they appropriately connected to citizens and, and that type of more immediate accountability or visceral impact? You know, you mentioned, you know, homelessness or the train that runs late. Um, and, uh, and you know, does that change the the need to get something through the legislature to the governor's desk or to the mayor's desk or through the council, so that you know you can do your posturing, but at the end of the day, we've got we've got to get somewhere. Versus like, well, so 
President Biden's not going to have a legislative agenda because of X, Y, or Z, or they're just not going to move on that nominee or whatever it is, you know, and it's like, it's, you know, but there are things in the federal government that, that you have to keep the lights on for. And again, this goes back to the point of like, are we just looking at the, the one or two or three issues that are the most, you know, clickbait-ish in terms of defining the state of government and the state of politics versus the many, many things that go on under the hood that don't get reported on, but happen because they have to happen. I, I, th- I think yes and no, but I do think that there is less kind of service-related political accountability at the federal level than there is at the state, county, and local level. And so, I mean, I, and I, I maybe I just haven't thought about this enough, but I, I can't think of a state or local government that had a government shutdown, right? Because if you like stop picking up people's in, trash uh, for Pawnee, a month. Pawnee, Indiana didn't have a shutdown. I think they did actually. Oh, Pawnee <laughs> did? Yes. Well, I, maybe, say that. I don't know. I'm just making, I think they did. Yeah. But if, if you stop picking up people's trash for a month or didn't respond to fire calls for a month because some, there was some argument over, you know, at, at a political level, all those people would be cleared out like almost instantly. <laughs> the, uh, there would be direct, meaningful political consequences. In a way, I, I know a lot of Congress people spend a lot of time doing constituent services, but they spend more time on constituent services than they do on improving the underlying programs. You know, you were the IRS commissioner. You probably had lots and lots and lots of letters from congressmen saying, hey, can you sort out this problem? But not lots and lots and lots of conversations about how to make the IRS better. Yeah, no, that's true. You get a lot of phone calls as the IRS commissioner um, who are uh, on, on behalf of constituents. Can, can you get this, uh, you know, uh, higher up in the cycle for review you know, things like that. Can you, can you help answer this question? They can't get anyone on the phone, you know, and they really need help, you know, and you know, that you're, you're exactly right versus systemically. Um, how do we uh, get more people to answer the phones because we've, you know, modernized our call center, you know, ramped up our, our hiring and our, and our taxpayer services. So you're, you're hundred percent right, and I, I guess I'll, I'll leave it with the bottom line question, Dan, which is: Is there something, you know, can we rely on state and local governments as you know ongoing laboratories of better government to um, to be helpful here uh, in this underlying question we have of building citizen trust, and are we you know, appropriately, you know, placing that emphasis on state and local governments to, uh, to help change the tide in terms of government effectiveness going forward. Yeah, I'm a big fan of state and local governments as a source of innovation. Um, As the city administrator, I, I really would have appreciated more flexibility in the way federal programs were implemented. Oftentimes, you know, the process to seek a waiver to try something innovative in a federal program would take, you know, half of a term of a mayor. And it would take you the first half to figure out that the waiver was a possibility and the second half to apply. And, and you, you know, 
if you didn't get meaningful change, it might not be a second term to see if the, the waiver would work. So a lot of people just didn't bother. So the question is, could there be maybe one way to increase you know, overall trust in government and create a, a stronger nexus between you know, federal political accountability and local service delivery would be to provide state and local governments with more flexibility in delivering um, federal programs that are, you know, that has accountability frameworks around it so that if they don't work, you know, they have to go back the other way. Oftentimes, state or local flexibility is often viewed with a really jaundiced eye as a way of trying to, you know, do a race to the bottom in terms of, you know, quality of service delivery or equity in service delivery. So that's the challenge. How do you strike that balance? Yeah. And it seems like, like I think about the state of Virginia as an example, which has, you know, blue parts and red parts. The state of Maryland has blue parts and red parts. The state of New York has blue parts and red parts to it. And those governors, you know, have, an opportunity to um, to kind of build consensus uh, because they're more localized and the problem is, is is scaled a little differently than the president might in terms of creating an atmosphere for for consensus or or better dialogue around problem solving around citizen services and and activities. Um, and then I guess as I guess as you get more localized, you might find well, this is overwhelmingly really red. This is overwhelmingly blue. But there's some points in, across the American landscape where there are leaders that have this opportunity because they're closer to it, and the problem is a little bit more potentially well defined to figure out how to how to drive uh, a a better framework for for a conversation in America so that we're not so separated from one another. And, and I think the I think the local government is probably our best hope right now. Um, the state governments, I feel, in many instances, are beginning to model, you know, the division of the federal government. And in many cases, you know, we used to turn to state governments to to their executives and their leaders as like a way of changing and reforming and creating that kind of executive experience and accountability in the federal government. And it seems like a lot of those executives are are interested in um uh bringing you know kind of the federal dysfunction down to the state level if you know what i mean yeah no i i i do and um i i think this theme of like state and local government as kind of like compare and contrast as we unpack the things that are on the radar in the, in the federal level might be a nice way of kind of triangulating things from various uh, perspectives rather than always having the national perspective. I also think we can, you know, introduce more Parks and Rec into future episodes um, and, you know, rank. Well, there was a Parks and Rec, the movie, which I think is a brilliant idea, by the way, I hope someone's listening to that. Um, then that would be kind of this broader of actually thematic connection to the movies. But are you extending that then to um, television series as well? I am for Parks and Rec. I am because that's well, and then in which case we should probably add the wire because the wire is kind of the dark version of, of Parks and Rec for if you're thinking about local government and yeah, and, and the then, West Wing for national government, right? And then Ozark, I guess, is trading at the state level if you really want to be negative oh, about it. We should do a podcast on money laundering, that would be really <laughs> no, I don't think either of us want to have anything to do with a podcast on that. 
Okay. All right. Well, not how to, but how to stop it. Um, I, I, it's hard not to make an association. You just don't want to be next to it in a Google search. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, but, Dan. I apologize. There's probably some background noise here. I'm not used to actually having office mates. It's great to see people back in the office. Hopefully. No, I figured you go into the office for some solitude. And, um, exactly. No, Maybe this, this is... This is promising. Yeah, this is a spring kind of reopening... Um, and I awesome. hope we do it in a way that's careful and healthy, but I hope we do it. Cause I kind of miss, I miss seeing my colleagues and, and, and the office life. Absolutely. All right, Dan, have a good one. All right, Danny. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks.